Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Hello, hello, hello. My friend and colleague Susan Hyatt is here today as my next guest, co-host. The beautiful things about my life are the amazing people I get to talk with, and I love being able to share with you all these conversations. And instead of talking to people once in a while, I decided a while back to have a group of shows where we could talk about one topic each week. So I I get to pick one of my friends and we come on the show and we get to really dive deep. Previous guests, co-hosts have been my friends, Michelle Woodward, Jen Loudon, actor Anna Vuccino, and now Susan Hyatt. It's time to get talking. In this conversation, Susan and I talk about believing in yourself. The things that we talk about on the show today are why it's so hard for us to believe in ourselves, what we are really taught to do, believing in yourself and achievement, what that looks like, triumph, being rooted in scarcity, being rooted in enoughness, other people's opinions of us, and being exactly who you are versus changing up to keep other people you don't know happy. And finally, we're going to talk about permission. Whose do you really need? So I'll circle back after my conversation with Susan and wrap up the show. Thanks so much for listening. Susan Hyatt, hello and welcome back. Hey, Corinne. I'm so happy to be with you again. And um, I just don't even know what to think that you're going to have me for all these shows in a row. My gosh, <laughs> like like a life coaching orgy or something. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. My listeners do like listening to you on my show, so this is a good duo for us. Yay! So, believing in yourself, what are yeah. the? Why is this so hard for us? You know, I think that if if we think about when we were little kids, some people can't remember a time that they weren't jaded or or told negative things about themselves. But I would say probably eighty to ninety percent of people I talk to can remember a time when they didn't have any concept of not being awesome. Right. So little kids typically, um, love themselves and believe in themselves. And it's only when they start, we human beings start being told by our family of origin or teachers or other, um, members of authority in our sphere that maybe our ideas aren't great or maybe, you know, we might want to rethink that or you're too big for your britches, all those kinds of messages that we start to doubt ourselves and then start to compare ourselves to others. And so I loved, I, so to answer your question, I think it's hard for us to believe in ourselves because I think we're raised not to as much talk and lip service as there is given to, um, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. A lot of the, um, undercurrent in society is filled with knocking people off their pedestal. So 
I think that that's why. I think that we're not taught at a young age how to think. We're taught how to we're taught how to do. And so the critical um, skill that I didn't learn honestly until I was what 31, 32 years old of not to believe my own thoughts necessarily and that I am not my thoughts and that I could actually choose thoughts that were better blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And so confidence and believing in yourself is not just based on talent. If that were the case, every talented musician and artist and person in the world would, um, you know, how many talented people do we see that, that suffer from depression and commit suicide, mm-hmm. right? That kind of stuff wouldn't exist if it was just based on merit. And thank God it's not because <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone should believe on the, in themselves, whatever their ability is. But anyway, I think it's hard because we're trained not to. Well, because you're right, little kids, they they are just there. They show up. They are there. They believe that they are worthy, that they are enough. Like, why wouldn't they be? And then at some point, the messages keep coming in of you need to fit in, which which means you need to leave who you are to make yourself be accepted by everybody else. And I think that's where that, oh, I can't believe in myself. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. And then we start to, you know, we're like, you know, I'm a recovering approval whore, we, we, we just try to get other people's approval thinking that then we can finally believe in ourselves. We can have the permission to believe in ourselves instead of thinking about, well, what do I have to offer? Who am I? Can I believe in myself now? Instead right. of waiting for that, for that permission. Right. So, you know, I think that, um, I love to look at little kids, you know, just playing or, um, when I, when I work with women on self-image and body image, a lot of, and you probably noticed this too with your clients, a lot of women hate on their bodies, and so they don't like their picture taken. Mm-hmm. And I love to have them think about a time or look at their kids. Kids love having their picture taken. And if they see themselves in a the picture, they're like, look at me, there I am. Look, look at me. And, oh, my gosh, if they end up on the local news for some reason, like if the TV station shows up at school, they are hamming for the camera for sure. So when does it happen that that transition takes place when we start to not want to be seen, whether it's physically, Mm -hmm. emotionally, intellectually, whatever? And I find it interesting. I can... I can probably pinpoint the age for me was around 11, but so middle school for a lot of women Mm -hmm. um, can be that time when they really started to say, huh, compared to her, maybe I'm not that great. Mm -hmm. And maybe my teacher's right that I think I'm really funny, but I'm not. Or, Maybe my grandma's right and I'm too big for my britches or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So why 11 for you? So 11 for me, I actually wrote a blog post about this. Um, When I was, it was, I think my 11th birthday, I received a Polaroid camera for my birthday. 
And Corinne, do you remember with Polaroid cameras, when you would take pictures with it, when the film would come out, you would like blow on it mm-hmm. or hold it up to a light bulb to get it to develop faster. And my sister and I were playing around taking pictures of each other with this new Polaroid camera. And I even remember what I was wearing. I had on an outfit that I got for my birthday, which um, they were these, it was from JC Penney. <laughs> and it was this little, these little lavender shorts with a little cuff and a lavender and white striped shirt. And I thought I was Beyonce, although I didn't know who Beyonce <laughs> was then, but we had, we had a fan in my room and we were standing in front of the fan, like letting our hair blow and taking pictures of each other. And so my sister took a picture of me and we took the Polaroid and we're holding it up to the light bulb and blowing on it, like in anticipation to see if it was a good shot. And I remember looking at it and thinking that I was awesome. And my sister, who is six years older than me, went, oh, and I was like, what? And she said, oh, my gosh, your thighs are getting big. Mm. And I remember I had never up until that moment of my life ever considered that my physical body might not be okay in some way. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking down at those little, little lavender shorts and being like, totally embarrassed Mm -hmm. like oh my god like I'm walking around and there's something wrong with my thighs and I had no idea and I was like oh my gosh and I put a picture of myself in my little basketball uniform in the blog I'll share it with you but I was like the little tiniest little twig I mean I was (laughs) the tiniest little girl in the whole world I was so little and and but so it wasn't based in reality But I took on that thought and really ran with it. Mm -hmm. So I remember that that was the point in time for me when I started to doubt my confidence. And I really started to think things that weren't supportive of myself. So, you know, bathing suit shopping, you know, all those things started to take on a different emotional tone because I was thinking, oh my God, I need to cover these thighs. So I have a question for you. Um, Was that voice, did you have the voice in the back of your head of I'm not enough because I have these thighs, I'm not good enough? Yeah, I remember I was a little bit boy crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still a little boy crazy. (laughs) But I was, I was a little boy crazy, um, and I remember I always wanted a boyfriend. And so what's 11, fourth grade or fifth grade? Um, fifth. Fifth grade, okay. So I remember that, that boys and girls were already starting to show attention to one another and say, oh, we're dating, and I'm using air quotes because we never went anywhere with each other, but, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. And I didn't have one. And so I remember starting to think like, oh, this is why. Like, I'm not as great as I think. Mm-hmm. I'm physically not um, up to par. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong with me and that's why yes. I can't yes. be connected. Yes, there's something wrong with me. And I, I will say, gratefully, it wasn't necessarily to the point where 
um, I had, I still had enough self value and worth that I, you know, I wasn't, um, it wasn't to the point where I was doing some things that got me into trouble with boys or mm-hmm. otherwise, but it certainly, I remember this longing to have a boyfriend and feeling like I was just kind of an ugly duckling that mm-hmm. wasn't going to have one. And, and also feeling like, um, I think it maybe the next year was when Oprah went on the air. And I remember I would watch that show. I so love Oprah. She is my non-biological mother (laughs) and I would watch her show and I remember feeling like this was the first place where someone I saw the story of someone who had triumphed over you know trauma and humble beginnings and looked different than most of the people that I knew and that she she was this wonderful amazing person and the first one to say like you can do whatever you want and here's how. Mm-hmm. And so I lapped that up and loved it because it was a great counter to some of the stuff I was telling myself. Well, that that's so important that I can do whatever I want and, and really get knowing how to get back up. And that's what the show's about. It's about, okay, people that have been on the show, it's not that they live this perfect life. I mean, Martha's the one, probably one of the first ones that had said that. You know, she had said, look, I have been to hell and back. In realizing that when you fall down, it's about how do you get back up and how do you move through it some more and and then continue getting back up. It's so fascinating that 11 was your point because I don't remember my age, but I'm thinking I was 11. I was in fifth grade and I was at a new school that my parents transferred me to. And I really, I mean, you know, I was a swimmer. I love being a swimmer. That was my safe place. I was really proud of that. And it wasn't a boisterous thing. It was just, I just loved being a swimmer. And I had this one shirt from this meet that I guess has a lot of prestige. But for me, it was, it was a personal accomplishment and I loved to wear it. And back then it was like these baseball t-shirts and I played dodgeball and our wall ball. I can't even remember the names. And I would play chicken on the bars. And I had this belief, Susan, that Boys and girls were the same. Like they, just because you're a boy didn't mean that you were a better athlete than me. There wasn't like I could compete against anybody, boys or girls. Really believe that. And part of that came from just being a swimmer and swimming with boys. You know, you weren't segregated out. And at that point, girls could still beat the boys or boys could be girls. So it wasn't a personal thing. So I just love to play those games, wear my t-shirt, be really me. And one day, and I loved the library. That was one of my favorite places to be. And the class would go and I came out of the library really happy and I love biography. So I've always loved other people's stories. That's always been my way of learning. Mm-hmm. And I came out of the library and I even remember exactly where it happened. I was standing outside the library and some kid came up to me, no idea who this kid is, and handed me a note. And I'm kind of excited. I opened up the note and on the top of this lined paper says, who hates Corinne? And on that piece of paper, at least the story that I can recall is every kid on the, in my class signed it. Now, I don't remember if it was the beginning of the year, middle or end of the year. I don't know. But I know that I was kind of the new kid in the school at something, you know, doesn't matter. I didn't grow up with these kids. I was coming in at fifth grade and that crushed me. 
And that was such a shame trigger of I'm not enough. You know, what's wrong with me? Why don't I fit in? And I think that was the first time it was instead of me just having a place to belong and being authentically me, it was about how can I fit in? And from I think that point on, I really started to hustle for my worthiness. And and like you, like I, I was really boy crazy and stuff and I wouldn't do anything, but I was very envious of other girls, even though I wasn't ready to even talk to a boy in that kind of way. I wouldn't mind playing dodgeball or chicken with them, but that kind of thing wasn't where I was ready for. But I did make it mean. I started creating these stories of, oh, see, I'm not good enough. you know. And then I was always really tall, so I was different there. So And it became this big shame storm just growing up of I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. And then how do I need to hustle to fit in? And what I really wanted was a place to belong where I could be connected. Yeah. I mean, and I think that it, gosh, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like at that age, when kids really start doing things like that, um, middle school is just holy Moses. Um, it's like Lord of the flies up in here with that stuff. And, um, Emily, my daughter, had something similar happen where it wasn't a like a petition or a or a list, but it was it was um, someone had written or uh, took a marker and wrote, you know, I hate Emily Hyatt, Emily Hyatt sucks, and that kind of stuff in the bathroom stall. And I remember she was so confused about it, like why would someone write that? And if if we're not paying attention to what we're telling ourselves, that can absolutely lead to what you're talking about, like, you know, fitting in, becoming more important than what's important to us. Yeah. And that realizing that, you know, how lucky she is to have you because you can help her get through those stories. Yeah, right? I was yeah. just, I was trying to, with my, you know, with my brain, put things together and figure it out. And then I created these other stories that I believed without even knowing, was it even true? You know, and my parents tried to help me because they figured what they figured had happened was I beat some boy in chicken and then he got mad and this was a retaliation. Or, and you know this, right? When you are confident or when you are comfortable with you, there are people that do try to bring you down. Right. And, Absolutely. and that's just for them. To, they think they will feel better. And, and I mean, this has happened even on athletic teams when I was in college and I was wanting, my goal was to become a national champion. And some of the girls on the team or the women on the team, they would get out of practice because it was over and I would stand an extra 15 minutes because I wanted to do some more work. And they would make snark comments of, oh, you're just trying to get extra credit. And it was so interesting. Like I was trying to get extra credit for my coach and it was like, no, there are things that I need to do to get this goal that I aspire to that I won't tell anybody, but I personally had this personal goal, but they, for them, it was easier to pull me down so that I wouldn't have to, they wouldn't have to work as hard as me. Right. And you know, that versus, you know, letting me shine and then send them saying, Oh, well, we don't want to do this work. We want to be like that, but we don't want to do the work and being really looking at themselves is easier to come and attack me. Right. And, you know, I think that you bring up such a good point that a lot of adult women struggle with, which is if I'm bright and shiny, if I excel, um, then I won't have friends. And part of that stems from what you're describing, that 
I wrote this blog post one time called Lobsters in a Pot. Don't be a lobster in a pot. And um, I was working with this great client who gave me that beautiful metaphor that she said, I feel like this lobster in a pot. Do you know what lobsters do to each other? And I'm like, I don't think so. And she said, you know, when you go to cook a pot of lobsters and you put them all in the boiling water, if one of them starts climbing up the pot, you know, trying to escape, the other Mm -hmm. lobsters and crabs do it too, will pull that lobster back down in the hot water. Like, there's no escaping. We're all going to be in the hot water together. And people, I got to thinking about that and used it in a blog post that people do that too. That, um, hey, you're not going to, you're not going to go off and do these amazing things and we stay here. Uh-uh. We want to, and it's all very subversive and an undercurrent subconscious, but we're going to pull you back down here to our level. So how can we do that? Sometimes yeah. through emotional manipulation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think some of it's rooted in scarcity because it's that I, you can't leave me behind. If you right. become this, then you, I won't be good enough. Right. So then it's rooted in scarcity and, um, and anything, anytime we take action from there, it can be really destructive because it just creates a lot of storms and a lot of drama instead of letting be you, and letting the lobster go. And that's okay. That's your journey. And this is where I choose to be. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, for people who aren't, maybe they're not doing the self-reflection or the work, um, aren't able to have the kind of insight that it takes to be terrific about their friend going to the Olympics or, um, you know, getting a big college scholarship or, you know, uh, reaching some kind of relationship goal or whatever it might be. Um, So I think that in terms of building self-confidence and believing in yourself, I think it also, because as human beings, we crave connection with other humans. And one of our fears can be that if we have a lot of confidence and believe in ourselves, that maybe we'll feel alone or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, won't have friends or people to support us that, you know what, also developing the confidence and the belief that other people like you will come into your life when you're firing on all cylinders and not dumbing yourself down or hiding your ability. Yeah, because that the if we're trying to not show up in our lives to keep the people in our lives content, those may not be the right people for us because right. they don't want us to be. They're saying you have to be X in order for us to have this relationship. You have to be non-threatening for me. And one of the things, like as you talk about Oprah, and I was just thinking, Oprah has always had this, her lifelong friend of Gail King, right? Her best friend forever. And the thing that she said about Gail is that every time great things happened to Oprah, Gail was her biggest cheerleader. She was so excited for her. She didn't go, you are becoming more famous. And we both started out together as production assistants. You are becoming more rich and there's not going to be enough for me or you're going to leave me behind. Gail was just, she was, she said Gail was more excited for her, for her own successes than she was for herself. Wow. And and I think that is somebody who is really rooted in their own confidence and in their own uh, you know, wholeheartedness where they can just have that space for somebody else and say, Hey, yay, you. Isn't this awesome that you are doing all this great stuff? Like Gail wasn't rooted in scarcity. 
she she wasn't rooted in the sphere of not being enough or not belonging. It was like, oh, this is so awesome. How incredible this is. And just think if we could live life from that place with with our friends, with our loved ones, in our work environments. Because so often, and I don't know about you, but a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, these corporate clients, there's so much scarcity because everybody's afraid that, oh, now this C-level executive, he's going to come in and now there's not going to be spot for me because he's going to, you know, really shine in his work. Or yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I'm disagreeing, nodding emphatically. <laughs> and and so, you know, and and then we create this problem of scarcity, even in these corporations that have so much money. I have clients that work for these big corporations where, you know, money's not even an issue for them. And but they're so rooted in scarcity and they're keeping each other down. But then they talk about innovation, right? This is the gap, the mind gap. They talk about innovation and creativity and being cutting edge, but everybody's so afraid and they're stealing from each other. They're bad mouthing each other that it's getting in the way of doing really great work. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And and I, I think back to my time in real estate, which can be, um, there can be a lot of bad juju going on in the residential mm-hmm. real estate world. It's, it's a commission only industry. Um, plenty of agents are, uh, working really hard to steal one another's clients. Sometimes I remember feeling like I had a big old knife sticking out of my back at all times. <laughs> and I remember that I refused to operate that way, that there were plenty of things that I just didn't do that was kind of business as usual in residential real estate. I, um, had regular business hours. I wasn't going to necessarily be out on nights and weekends towards the end. I had other people working my open houses because I wasn't going to work on Sundays anymore. But the biggest thing I did differently was that I absolutely, even pre-life coaching had the belief that there's more business out there for everybody mm-hmm. that because I get this amazing client doesn't mean that you don't. And there's such scarcity in that industry. And so it was really interesting for me to observe that what you just described, you know, when new agents would come in, the older agents would get nervous, like, Mm -hmm. oh, who's this new girl, you know, that's going to take my business from me, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and helping people develop a non-scarcity mindset that, gosh, there's how many houses in the city? There's more than enough business. There's more than enough money. There's more than enough love. There's more than enough time for everybody. You shining doesn't make me dull. Well, and that more than enough, and maybe this will be a topic for another conversation, but when it comes to money, because there's such a scarcity belief about money, and really getting clear, like when we, you and I talked about priorities before in another show, but getting clear, how much money do you really need right. to live the life that you want? You know, what, where, how does that fit into your priorities? Because, and, and there is a certain, you know, in California, I think it's 75000 a year for a family of four to make to, you know, that's kind of like the, the, the base point so that, and then anything above that doesn't increase happiness, but that's kind of the, the minimum standard to have, you know, a good, a good life, just where you're not constantly stressed about money. Um, you know, and that's because California is an expensive place to live, but, 
So what is the enough and really getting clear, like how much is enough? Because I think we struggle with that. And then that triggers this scarcity. Like, oh, there's not going to be enough for me or, oh, I'll lose my job or this new agent will come in or this person will come in. But letting go of that and saying, okay, what, what is enough? Get really clear with that. What is enough? Yeah. yeah. And I think that, um, gosh, in terms of, of lifestyle, money and lifestyle and enoughness, it's really interesting. I was talking with, um, it was, uh, we were sitting around the table at my last retreat and there were, there were, there was a woman who was really wanting to stop renting and buy a house. And there was another woman who couldn't wait to sell her house and have no mortgage obligation. And so it was really interesting from each perspective and not, there was one that wasn't right or there's no right or wrong. It was just interesting in terms of the enoughness. Why, you know, why be a homeowner or not? And I think perception or not perceptions, I think belief systems are changing around what does it mean to have a, um, to have a worthwhile lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. Cause we've been raised with this like big house and cars and yada, 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 yada. And, it's really interesting now that people are doing the small house, the tiny house thing, mm-hmm. which I love. I don't know mm-hmm. if I could do it. I don't know if all my shoes would fit in the tiny house, <laughs> but <laughs> but I love it. I love that there's not one way to do it and what's enough for you might be different than what's enough for me. But as long as we figure that out and aren't just chasing some carrot, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people are starting to get clear because I think we all bought into that lie of, oh, once you you know, go to school, graduate, get married, get the job, get the big house, and then you're going to finally be in the promised land and everything will be fine. And um, one of my girlfriends and I talk about uh, when she had built her dream home, you know, soon after, I don't know, a year or two after she wound up getting a divorce and she was talking to her builder and her builder had said, you know, this actually quite happens quite often. People built that perfect house that they always wanted, their dream home, and then they divorce. Because there's that idea of we've been conditioned to believe that once you arrive here, everything's going to be fine. And then they finally get it and they realize, no, it's not fine. It hasn't been, it's not the house that's going to fix it. And and I think people are starting to get some more clarity of, okay, well, do I really need to have this McMansion? What is it that we want? How much space do we want? And getting more clear about that. So maybe there's more of an awareness that's happening about here's what life is telling me or our culture is telling me that I need to do to believe in myself. But what if I believe in myself right now with what I have right now, with who I am right now? Wouldn't that be a better way to live? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, I also think that by asking those questions, you can allow yourself to evolve and that, hey, at one phase of your life, certain things might be priorities, like we talked about last time, and values, and that can dramatically change as you age, you know, whether or not you have kids. There are different phases to our lives, and it's okay to want something at one phase of your life and then decide that you've evolved and you're... um, 
views on the world have changed and you're going to shift gears. And I think people kind of get stuck in maintaining the status quo because that's what they thought they wanted and feel rather sheepish or ridiculous about admitting that, hey, I really thought I wanted that and I really don't. And now I want this. And I'm like, hey, that's okay. Mm hmm. Well, that's why I like to say, you know, it's an experiment, test it out, because sometimes we have this idea of what we want. And then we when we actually go into the reality, it's not all that great. Like for me, that goes to Vegas, the idea of Vegas kind of sounds fun, especially when I watch it on TV or in the movies. The reality of Vegas, it doesn't fit for me. It's not what I want. And, and I realized that. And so, you know, every casino you go to, while it looks pretty on the outside, it's the same smoke filled casino on the inside. And but for me, the idea of being a swimmer really sucks. It's not great. You have morning practice, you have night practice, you know, it's a six, it's a 50 week year commitment, six days of the week. But the reality of being a swimmer, as my, my 15 year old daughter's finding out, is it's pretty damn awesome. You know, at least for, for our family values and for what we like and having that place to belong, it fits. Like I'm just so amazed at how she loves the sport that I love for so long. Um, but that's, so that's what it works for me. Now for somebody else, like your idea and reality may be totally different. Swimming may not be, you know, the reality that you want and that's okay. But what fits for each individual listener out there? What is the idea? Go test it out and then see, does it align up with the reality or is there a big gap? Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, 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 yes. I love it. So believing in yourself, and one of the other things is that, that you talked about, and I want to go back to, is the people that want to keep us down. And yeah. how do you, people want to keep you down, don't they, in, in your own personal life? <laughs> yes. Um, I joke a lot about um, borrowing from Ellen. My haters are my motivators. Um, I do. I, I, I joke a lot about it on social media. Um, as the amount of hate mail I receive rises, I also am fully aware that for every hater, there's nine lovers. So it's, it's all numbers. You know, the more people I attract to my blog and my social media presence, um, the more, the more I'm going to have people who don't agree with me or who don't like me. And that's okay. But absolutely. Um, I do receive some very interesting feedback um, on my blog and via email and on social media and my Facebook instant message box. And so I am on a regular basis given the opportunity to do the work on whether or not I'm going to let people who disagree and who, quite frankly, don't like me or what I stand for um, affect my messaging and, and how I present myself in the world. So when you first started getting the haters, was that easy? Oh my gosh, no. It was a shock to my system. <laughs> it was sort of, you know, it was sort of, sort of like, what? And I, and I remember feeling that feeling of what have I done wrong? So growing up, you know, as an overachiever and, and kind of going for the gold star and earning good grades in school and being on that hamster wheel, really trying to earn, I'm Catholic or, and I'm a recovered Catholic, <laughs> but, you know, taught, <laughs> taught that your place is earned. And 
I remember as a kid, you know, if I was ever in trouble, that just kind of devastated me, which makes me laugh because my kids, oh my God, it's like they didn't, they didn't inherit any of that because (laughs) we think mistakes are actually a good thing in this house, but my kids scared of getting in trouble? Not at all. But I remember the first time I read some feedback that was not happy time thinking, I had that momentary like, oh my God, what have I done wrong? And I heard that message of, girl, who do you think you are? And I had to really do the work on it that this person's opinion of me tells me a lot about them and nothing about me. And it started to get easier the more I had to work through it because I ultimately posed the question to myself that, you know, your choices are to keep doing what you think is right and saying what you believe in and being exactly who you are or changing up what you say and how you present yourself to try to keep people, other people you don't even know happy. And I chose the the former, that I was just going to be who I was and work on being okay with people not liking me. It's not, and it, it was not easy. And sometimes it's still not easy. I'm mostly um, amused now when I get hate mail and I use it all the time on, <laughs> I publish what people say to me and I use it to help other people like, Hey, listen, when people say this kind of nonsense to you, you just keep on rocking who you are because this is all about them and what it's totally fine. If they don't like it, they can stay off my page. But it's to answer your question. It wasn't all that easy. It did sting. It did bring up like, Oh my God, am I too much? Do I need to tone it down? Because those were messages I received a lot growing up. Are you too much, Susan Hyatt? Hell to the no. <laughs> and do you need to tone it down? Oh, my God, no. I, In fact, I am working daily on turning that shit up. And are you having fun? Yes. I feel, I feel like... I have a profession that allows me to express myself creatively and a lifestyle that lets me enjoy the things that I love. And I'm only 42 years old. I still have a lot of growth and expansion to experience. So there's a lot I have yet to learn, but I love that I'm doing it out loud and not hiding the, the messy parts of me and the great parts of me that it's, it's just sort of like, here's who I am. And if you want to be along for the ride, great. And if you don't, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. That takes courage though, doesn't it? It does because of the, you know, because of what shows up in my inbox, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people, and it's also great evidence that you can't possibly behave in a certain way to keep everyone happy. It's never going to work. And so, you know, when I get emails like, 
um, I actually had a, a death threat, my first death threat. So yes, I've had hate mail and now I can say I've actually had a bona fide um, death threat come through and it was over the Religious Freedom Act that mm-hmm. was passed in Indiana. And mm-hmm. I'm sure most of your listeners probably saw all of the backlash of that. And I took a very active stand against the Religious Freedom Act and against um, the politicians who were promoting um, their religious values and freedoms over the social rights of the LGBT community. And um, there was an individual who didn't like that. There were plenty of individuals who didn't like it, but there was one in particular who decided to threaten my existence over it. And it actually made me even more fearless about saying what I need to say. Because I remember thinking, just like when I got that first piece of hate mail, this was seemingly dangerous. And I remember thinking, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to let some coward who won't even show their face and let me know who they are sending this dictate what I think and how I promote it. So anyway, that's, that's what's going on around this place. The irony is that title, the Religious Freedom Act... (laughs) Have you ever heard anything more ridiculous in your life? I mean, <laughs> we could have a whole show. We could have a whole series of shows <laughs> on that, right? Like, there's nobody free here. Nobody free with that whole thing going on. And then the fact that you share your opinions and somebody decides that they want to give you a th- death threat because you can't have the freedom to share your opinions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So then what did I do? I started wearing an LGBT ball cap visor. And (laughs) I'm like, you're not going to, you're not going to shut me down. That's not going to happen because I think that everyone has their right to their opinion. Absolutely. But you cannot infringe upon the civil rights of others. So suck it. (laughs) Well, and thank you for sharing that. It was hard at first. Yeah. Right. It was hard. And what it sounds like is over time and practicing and you've had lots of opportunities to practice is that you've been able to build up this resilience where people try to knock you down, but you're able to get back up and and you believe in yourself. And, And the other thing is that it sounds like is as people come at you, it gives you that opportunity to do clean out some of that mental mind clutter like, oh, they're accusing me of this. Is that really true? You know, what do I believe? And thinking about that instead of thinking, oh, well, they believe this. So now I need to automatically follow the masses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they think it's safer, that mm-hmm. there's less conflict. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, is it safer? Because you're sacrificing you. what you want, right? You and you're creating inner conflict. So you might be saving yourself having to deal with others, but you're always at the end of the day left with yourself and you know. Mm-hmm. And then that's where that, that depression comes in and, and all of that. So, yeah. And the other thing I think for me about believing in myself is about letting go of the need for permission from others, right? Yeah. Being able to show up in my life without that permission saying, okay, what is it that I want? What is it that I believe in? 
and not having to have permission, right? Because as you said earlier, we've been so conditioned that we need to do this to get approval. We need to do this to to make people happy. These are the steps. So it's been very ingrained in us and to let go of permission for us to show up in our lives, to uh, for, for us to be who we are is so important. And I think that because that's another important practice of giving yourself permission to let go of permission of others, but you giving yourself your own permission, not waiting for somebody to give you permission. Absolutely. Um, I think that, I think that a lot of what happens growing up is that we're taught that we need to listen to authority and we look for external validation from authority. And and what this ends up creating, the dark side of that, is it ends up creating a culture of people who are looking outside of themselves for validation. And, and I think that because we crave as humans, it's such a, such a core part of our humanity that we want to be included and part of community. Um, that sometimes we'll do anything to have that to the expense of ourselves and learning how to, how to figure out that, Hey, you can keep your beliefs and your values and still be loved and still be, you know, it's a hard, hard thing because um, just like the religious freedom act, there are plenty of people in the, LGBT community who are taught, you know, hey, I don't fit into what my pastor is saying here. And if I do come out, I'm not invited back to church mm-hmm. and my family is probably going to exclude me. So in, in a culture or in a community that would pass such a law, not in many other parts of this country. <laughs> so, um, so I think that the evidence people see is real that it may be a little dicey to express who you are and what you think and not always seek out the permission of others to be who you are and think what you think and do what you want to do because the, there's such an overwhelming urge to belong. But surrounding yourself with people who will love you no matter what and finding the tribes creating and finding people who will rally behind you even if maybe what you're wanting to do doesn't quite fit with everybody else's. And realizing your tribe can be small. It can be you and it can be one other person. And if you have that, you have a lot. Yeah. Because do you really want to be a part of a group where you're fitting in and the only reason they're accepting you is because you're not being you? Yeah. 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 And I think that, Part of why middle school is so dicey is because I think a lot of people are really realizing that, like, hey, I've been friends with these kids since maybe pre-K, and all of a sudden I'm developing my own um, views and my own gifts and talents are becoming apparent, and maybe I don't want to be a cheerleader like everybody else in my circle, or, you know, Maybe I'm not boy crazy and they all are, or maybe I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm thinking of my daughter in this case. Maybe I actually 
converse better with college age students because I want to talk about political issues and no one else in my class gives a crap, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I think that that's when that can happen when it's like the message is either conform or you sit by yourself in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If you get to sit by yourself in the cafeteria and you like who you are, you can have a great time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, which my daughter has done. Although she, you know, she's kind of coming out on the other side of that now, where mm-hmm. she has her, she has created a tribe of people who are like her, mm-hmm. and it's awesome to watch. It's awesome to watch. Well, Susan, thank you so much for having this awesome conversation about believing in yourself. It's such an important topic, and um, you know, and we covered, I think, great territory for the listener. So, thank you. Thank you. It was awesome being with you again. And there'll be more. (laughs) There'll be more coming at you live. Yay. So I'm back. I love talking with Susan. She has such great energy. And when you hear us both talk about where we once were and where we are now, and that goes back to the, how I always like to talk about the windows of possibility, or if this is possible for us, what is possible for you? It really comes down to creating an awareness, making a choice, and then practicing. And you're going to get beaten down and you're going to need to stand back up. And how do you do that? Who are the people that you surround yourself in? What do you choose to believe? And really asking yourself questions first instead of, I used to do this. I would go and take a poll out of everybody else. What do you think? What do you think? Not even considering what are their values? What are mine? I'm asking their opinion but maybe we have conflicting values. So how would I know? That's like going and asking somebody, what's your favorite ice cream color? It's one thing if you're kind of looking for inspiration or maybe opening up outside of your comfort zone of the flavors of ice cream you like. But when you're rooted in scarcity like I was when I was always searching and approval whoring myself and asking people what they thought, it was in the scarcity thing of, oh, they must know better than I do. I don't know enough. And you can't get to believing in yourself by asking what other people think. You can check in with people by getting really clear about who those people are. So in this talk about believing in yourself, that's the idea of showing up, allowing yourself to be seen and really living brave in your life. How can you do that? How can you show up, be seen and live brave? And getting then that goes about by figuring out where do you want to belong or are you willing to keep fitting in? And knowing the difference between fitting in and belonging. I spent a lot of time with clients this week discussing this concept of fitting in. Fitting in is when you hustle for your worthiness. That's when I was approval whoring. When you will sell yourself out to show up and be the person that they want you to be. That's not belonging. It takes a lot of energy. Versus belonging is when you can show up as you and you are accepted for who you are. And that always goes back to, I know this is so silly, but My theme song for life is the theme song of Cheers, a place you go where everybody knows your name, where people are all the same. And it doesn't matter how many degrees you have or if you're a postal person, whatever your situation may be, how much money you make, you belong, you have a place. And for them, it was that bar and they were able to connect. So having that place that you belong, for some of my belongings is my family at home. Another place that I belong is in my swimming community at the pool. And I try to create that place for other people that are coming in. But that is always my fundamental value of wherever I go. 
versus fitting in. Fitting in is really exhausting for me. I'd rather just be home by myself. So really getting clear about that understanding of fitting in versus belonging. You can even ask yourself the question, do I want to fit in? Do I want to belong? Maybe it's worth it to you to fit in. And only you are the one that will know that. It's like you're the expert on your life. But get really clear. Ask yourself these questions. You know, go in and listen to, is this my voice or is this a voice that's been programmed inside of me? Is this a voice that's rooted in fear and scarcity that there's not going to be a place for me? Or is this a voice that's really rooted in there's enough and what is it that I want? And one thing this week, I was working with a client who I've coached for a long time. And she said, I was, we were talking about the roots and where you're rooted. And, and I wound up saying, you know, if you're rooted in scarcity, that's, that's, that's the soil that your roots are in. Your tree's not going to be very strong as it grows. But if you're rooted in enoughness or wholeheartedness or love or compassion or whatever it may be, where you're really in that grounded place, that soil, it's like the compost that we have that my husband adds to our garden. Our compost is so great and it's so rich and and full that we have these amazing things that grow out of the garden. So that's where your tree can really grow and be resilient and thrive and flourish in your life. And that's the place that I'm trying to take you on the show or show you that exists, that is possible for you. Because this is the place where inspiration and possibility meet. And it takes practice. And yes, you will get your butt kicked. Just know that we all get our butt kicked. Susan does, I do on a daily basis. And the other thing is that is this idea about shame as being personal. Susan shared this story about her 11-year-old self with her sister, who she loves, who's very she's very close with, made a comment. I had a situation in my, as a fifth grade girl where I got a note. Who knows? You know, one of the theories out there when I was a little kid was maybe the boy that liked me that gave me the note. I don't know. I will never know. But shame is personal. And what may be a shame trigger for you, and shame is the voice of you are not enough. And that's a voice that we all hear. We're just not aware of that word shame until Brene Brown has kind of come and made it a public word. But even then, it's kind of a word that we run away from. It's so important to own that story because until you own it, then you can reflect and check in. But if you try to hide it and orphan it off, it will sit there and linger and it will wrap around your throat. So that's what shuts us down. That's what doesn't allow us to be seen. But when you can own, like Susan and I can own these two stories that we experienced. And we also realize that it's not true. There may be those people did hate me and that's okay because I don't even remember really who was in that class in fifth grade and that's okay. But if I allow that story which I did for so long to believe that people hate me. It's so painful to really believe that people hate you. It's so painful and it's easy to go, I'm going to hide. I'm going to stay at home. I don't really matter. And then we get stuck in this shame storm. And for me, a shame storm looks like a tornado. It just, you're in the eye of the tornado and it just keeps whirling around and around and you can't really see beyond the eye of the tornado. All the stuff is just circling around and it just keeps going and going and you just keep going down. And it's about how to move through that. So understanding that shame is personal and you own your story. Give yourself permission to own that story. You don't need to story fondle it. Or as my client this week said, do a story assault. Right? This is what happened to me and therefore I've been wronged and now I'm going to rectify it. We don't have to do that, but just own it and then check in. Is this really true? Just like Susan does with the hate mail that she has now, you know, 
What, did, what are the questions that she asks herself? Am I too much? Do I need to tune it down? And the other thing that becomes really important is that when people give us their opinions, it is their opinions. Are you letting their opinions override your own? Like Susan said, and this took me such a long time to get because I am a slow learner, but I remember, you know, learning this concept years ago. But when people tell you something, it's the, their person's opinion of you. And it has a lot more to do with them than to do with you. It's about how they see the world. And it can be wrapped up in their own and fear and scarcity and their not enoughness. So it's about checking in first. Is this somebody whose opinion matters? Are they on your team? Or are they out there to, to put hate into the world? Because there are some people that just want to put the dark clouds out there, right? But does their opinion matter? Are they somebody? Because it's not that everybody's opinion doesn't matter, but really knowing whose does and really allowing your opinion to matter too. So maybe it's somebody's opinion that you really care about that matters and they give you feedback. You can check in what parts of it may be true. Are they rooted in scarcity right now? Or are they rooted in uh, love? And allowing yourself so that you can flourish, your soul can flourish. And then finally, as I wrap up this show today, one of my mentors said to me, if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? So if not you, if not you believing in you, then who? And will that really empower you by other people's believing in you? And if not now, then when? We are deadline people. I was telling that to my girlfriend today. Thank goodness that we have certain deadlines by laws that we have to do because if we didn't, we wouldn't get it done. And how can we incorporate that more in our own personal lives to get things done? So as I wrap up the show today, my question for you is, if not you, then who? And if not now in believing in yourself, then when? Thanks again for listening to my conversation with Susan. I just love talking with her about believing in ourselves. Loved, loved, loved it. And for years, I struggled with believing in myself. And I really thought it was something I had to earn before I could. But really, it's about practicing believing in yourself right here, right now, right where you are in your life. It's time for you to practice, isn't it? Start by owning your story like Susan and I did about our 11-year-old selves. It's time to believe in you. I invite you to be brave. Join our community at howshereallydoesit.com and sign up for my weekly newsletter to get insights, updates for future episodes so that you never have to worry about missing a show and info about working with me. A shout out to my friend Susan for sharing her story with us. And you can go to the show notes to link to her blog post that she talked about on the show today. If you like what you're hearing, I invite you to let me know by heading over to iTunes and leaving a comment there. It's time to do a shout out for GGINPDX for taking the time to leave a comment on iTunes about the show. There are directions on the show notes about what to click to write a review. And thanks for your patience and your willingness to get through that process because I know it's been troubling for some of you. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. It's time to discover the beauty of believing in you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide